Squad Pod. I'm your host, I'm Kara Carinzafelli. That's Kara with a C, Kitchen with a K. You can find me on Instagram at Kara's Kitchen or online at karaskitchen.net. And I am a health coach and I help people heal their relationships with food and their body and step into their power and reclaim their life from diet culture. And it's really important work, in my opinion. And today we have a really lovely guest. We have an interview with Simi Bodich, and she is an incredibly kind, genuine, loving soul. And I really think that you are going to be able to feel her compassionate, genuine energy by listening to her speak. You know, even when we were just on the Zoom call recording, she has a very welcoming, warm energy that immediately puts you at ease. And I really think that you're going to be able to feel that while you're listening. And we have a really vulnerable, honest conversation about body image as our bodies change through the various seasons of life. We talk about everything from puberty to postpartum. And I think that there's going to be a lot of value in it if you are a woman or a man or anything in between. And you feel like you're not enough because of what your body looks like. If you've felt that way, then this conversation is for you. Now, before we dive into the interview, I just want to read a quick recent review from the podcast on iTunes. It is from AN10.12 and it is titled, Thank You, Kara. Just a quick thank you to Kara for all of your work. The raw, vulnerable, and honest nature of the Love Your Bod Pod has been incredibly helpful for me. I can't express my appreciation for you and your guests' kind words in helping others find peace with their bodies. Having someone who's been there makes it so much more relatable and instills a sense of hope. Thank you so much, and I hope you never stop doing your work. So thank you so much for that review. It means so much to me to receive these. And if you are loving the pod too and you're grateful for this podcast and the difference it's and it's made a difference for you in your life and you're also hoping that I don't stop doing it, would you pretty please leave a review? on iTunes you know that really does help keep the podcast going it lets me know that it's making a difference for you and it really means so much to me to read them I read them all and my goal is really to help women heal their relationships with their bodies because I do think that for most of us what's at the root of a disordered relationship with food is poor body image because we're taught that controlling our food is a tool that we can use to control our bodies. And so body image is at the root. So I do really hope to help all of you heal your relationship with your body. So thank you so much for that review. And if you are loving the pod, would you be so kind as to leave a review on iTunes or even screenshot the podcast in your um, Instagram stories if you don't have iTunes? That's another really great way to give back to the podcast. So, okay. Thank you guys for being here and spending time with me. And without further ado, let's get into today's interview. Welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. Today, we have a lovely guest with us. Her name is Simi Bodich, and she is a certified holistic health coach and author of the book, Letting Go of Leo, How I Broke Up with Perfection, a memoir about overcoming her decades-long struggle with feeling like she wasn't enough. Through her work, she helps women ditch perfection and heal their relationships with food and their body image so they can begin to embrace their beautifully imperfect lives. Simi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So Simi, thank you for being here. Can you just connect the dots for us? You know, how did you end up developing perfectionism, a disordered relationship with food in your body, and then eventually get to this place where you're doing this amazing work to help other women? Absolutely. Well, I think my story is similar to what a lot of women experience in that from a really early age, I picked up from different messaging that 
my body was not enough, was not thin enough, was not fit enough, um, that I wasn't athletic enough. And there were just these little teeny tiny little messages that really got deeply embedded in me and really impacted the way that I saw myself in relation to the world. And part of it was, you know, personal interactions. And a lot of it was messages that I picked up from media. It was back before social media. So like a lot of people magazines and like us magazines and things like that. Um, and I really, really, really wanted to do everything within my power to make myself enough. And so from early on, I started trying to do anything that I could um, to manipulate my body and make it look a certain way that I thought was good enough based on, you know, like pictures I saw in magazines or people that I was comparing myself to. Um, and this turned into a decades long struggle um, where I would try different diets and different exercises and, um, the restriction from the dieting ultimately uh, led me to end up struggling with binge eating as well. Um, there was a period of time during my journey where um, I didn't have the terminology for it at the time, but now people refer to it as orthorexic, where you're obsessed with just lots and lots and lots of food rolls and eating as, you know, quote unquote, healthfully as possible. Um, and that was just like one diet led to another, led to another. And like I said, through all this restriction, there was also like binge eating within my journey as well. Um, and I got married, actually my wedding anniversary is today. So I've been married for eight years today and it was Yay. eight years ago on my honeymoon um, when my now husband and I, we were in Canada and I just had a full on meltdown about how I felt about my body. And for the first time in my entire life, after struggling with this for so long, I just completely externally verbalized everything that was going on in my head, all the feelings and thoughts I was having about myself. And even though he knew that I had that I, you know, struggled with food and with exercise and he knew like some things were not right. When I shared with him, he told me like, this is not how things are supposed to be. It does not have to be this way. And so I came home from my honeymoon and I started working with the health coach and got into therapy um, and really started to heal my relationship with myself, which like I shared with you, you know, I just always wanted to feel enough. So my whole journey has been about connecting to my inherent worth and value apart from the, you know, the external body and how that fits in with what society says is, is good enough. Mm, yeah. And I really think it illuminates quite a bit for those listening. You specifically said, heal my relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. So yes, you worked with a health coach and yes, you went into therapy, but this was about the relationship with yourself. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that and what you mean? I know you sh shared that it was about wanting to be enough. Can you dive in a little bit deeper? Yeah. So my, before kind of doing all this work to try and heal my relationship with myself, I, I really saw myself through what I assumed or projected other people like thought of me or how they saw me and everything was about trying to please other people or trying to live up to 
these external expectations, whether they were real or imagined or projected or whatever they might have been. And I was constantly looking for external validation at every step of my journey. And yes, it really showed up in my, in terms of like body image. And because of that, in my relationship with food and exercise, because food and exercise were tools that I used to try to control that part of my life um, and get that external validation. But it also showed up in other areas, like in terms of my, in terms of my career, um, in terms of other things as well. I just wanted to make other people proud or to make them like me so that they would validate that, you know, who I was was okay. And because of that, I basically had no relationship with myself because how I felt about myself was completely dictated by what other people thought of me or what I assumed or believed that they, um, that they thought about me. Um, this caused a lot of anxiety. I had a lot of anxiety and anxiety is still something that I have to you know, deal with and process through, um, but it's much less now. And when I decided to have a relationship with myself, it meant really learning to see myself for who I am and learn how to validate myself without looking to others for that, for that validation. Mm. Yeah. And so d- was it a process of learning to discover who you were and like who you were? So you weren't, you were no longer as reliant on other people needing to like you because you were grounded in your, in who you were and your value. Totally. And just even you saying, was it about discovering who you were, I think is like such a profound thing because I really didn't know who I was because I was always trying to like chameleon myself into whatever I thought people wanted me to be or what I thought that I should be. Um, And so I, you know, at the age of 25, I was like, okay, I have to like discover who I am as a person that isn't trying to be who she thinks she should be. And that was a really that was like a really hard, that was a really hard realization. It's weird to think that you've lived as yourself for so many years and have no idea who you are, what you like, or what you believe. Um, And so there was definitely like an an element of, okay, we got to just start from scratch and like get to know who this person is and and discover like what it means to be myself. Hmm. So what were some of, so you had this big realization, profound realization and also this bit of a breakthrough moment it sounds like of being at rock bottom on your honeymoon I don't know would you say it was rock bottom in its own way yeah I hate saying that because it was your honeymoon but like no it was I mean my honeymoon was wonderful in in many many ways um and uh, but yes it was definitely in my relationship with myself was a rock bottom moment um and I mean I had been I think it was a rock bottom, but also a breakthrough moment because I had had a lot of moments like that, but it was just the first time I finally like broke through and verbalized it externally. And, and like I said, I was always looking for external validation. So the validation I got from someone else that, Hey, this is not, this is not how it has to be was what I needed in that moment to get the help that I needed. I didn't have a strong enough relationship with myself in that moment to get the help like just for myself. I I needed that in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's so okay, you know, mm-hmm. to and I can imagine the release of finally vocalizing all of this stuff that had been trapped inside your mind and your body and like what it would be like to actually um have that type of a conversation. So what were some of your biggest fears? 
around deciding to like work on this relationship with yourself and, and with food and, and with your body? And how did you move past those fears? Sure. Well, um, I mean, as a perfectionist, big fear was losing control. So that was really scary. Um, was I was terrified of body changes. Um, you know, I had spent a a huge part of my life really trying to control my body. So it was very scary for me to think like, what will happen if I stop trying to control this? That was terrifying. Um, and I mean, I was afraid of not knowing how to do it this new way. I'd been doing things in this very specific way for so long. And even though it clearly like was not, was not working and was not making me feel well, um, I was really scared to try to do it differently because I didn't know what that looked like. And I did not have like a blueprint laid out. And in my relationship with food, like everything was so controlled. Um, you know, like everything had been so laid out really in my life. I tried to keep things so, so, so controlled. Um, which of course led to a lot of meltdowns when things did not fit into those perfect boxes, but it was scary to move into this next phase and think, Oh my gosh, like part of what I'm going to be doing is not having everything so controlled. And so that was, that was terrifying. Hmm. So how did you move past that? Yeah. So a lot of support, um, being able to verbalize, this feels really scary. I'm afraid of these things and have someone there to support me and hold space for me was really, really important. Um, having support and guidance to help me navigate, like I said, a road that I didn't know, like how to walk it. I literally felt like I was getting like sea legs, you know, like I had been in the water my whole life and now I had to walk on land. And that was really, that was really scary. Um, so support was was huge for that in those moments where I did not feel strong enough um, on my own. And then a lot of trust building exercises with myself. I had to learn how to trust myself. And so part of that was learning how to communicate with myself, learning how to listen to what I really needed, and then honoring those needs, even when it was really scary to prove to myself, like, I'm here for you. I've got your back. I'm going to do what I need to do. And so it was just really like constantly trying to build up that trust that had been eroded over so many, over so many years. And I mean, with the, the fears of body changes, I had to really dig into my values around body image and learn how to see bodies in different ways and learn that there's not only one kind of body that's good and bodies are meant to change. And so it was really, really important for me to do some deep body image work because until I was doing that, I didn't feel safe to change the way that I was relating to food or movement. Mm, Yeah. I think that I really loved what you said, like dig into your values around body image. For those listening who might not understand what you mean, say like values around body image, what are you getting at? All right. So when I talk about needing to change my values in terms of body image, when I think about how I was when I was really struggling, I really believed that there was one singular way for a body to look for it to be good enough and that my value would increase the closer that I got to that ideal body. Um, And ultimately that I would finally be good enough if I had this body, which 
by the way, was never like within the realm of natural possibilities for me. So it was always something that I was trying to get to and never got there. And so a big part of my body image healing work that I had to do was to recognize that there is not only one way that bodies are supposed to look and that one body type or one, you know, way that a body looks is not more valuable than others and really like deep in dig into my own biases that I had and really learn to see that there are bodies are made to look so many different ways, including my own, including my own within my own life, right? Like different seasons in life, I'm going to look differently. Um, and to really detach my inner worth from my external appearance and start to get in touch with what do I value about myself that has nothing to do with my body and how can I start to, how can I start to celebrate like who I am as a person regardless of how I look on the outside. And that was a huge, huge shift for me because for so long I had really measured my worth, you know, on the, like what the scale said or what I saw in the mirror. Mm, yeah. Was that a challenging process for you? Yes. That was a very challenging process for me. And I think that it is for so many women because any of us who are doing this body image work um, are still being bombarded by the messages that we're trying to at the same time, like unpack and work against inside ourselves, right? Like we're trying to unravel all of these all of these messages about our worth that we have absorbed while we're simultaneously being like absorbing even more of those messages. Um, and so I think it's a challenging process. Um, I think it, I think it takes time. I think it's constantly ongoing and we have to, you know, continue to do the work of understanding like that these messages are being given to us for a very specific reason so that we will buy into certain things. Um, also to protect ourselves from as much of that messaging as we can and make sure that we are being able to see messages that are more positive and more in line with our value system if our value system is different. Um, and of course doing that inner work to connect with our value and our values um, and so it's like all three of those things have to be happening kind of at all times. And it is really challenging when the, when the messages that you're trying to unlearn are the messages that you're seeing multiple times a day, even if you have put up boundaries and are really protecting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Like diet culture is everywhere. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we live in a society that is very fixed in their views around body size and worth and like health and you know, even just accessibility, that's a different kind of a different conversation part of, you know, a one pillar of the same conversation, just even accessibility issues based on body size. But you had said, even with your own body, that your body changes in various seasons of life. So bodies aren't just meant to look differently across individuals, but also as an, as an individual ourselves, we change. So, you know, something I'd love to hear from you being a mom is about this whole get your body back thing. And, you know, I feel like this is a very recent phenomenon. Like in the last century, perhaps, there's this surge of pressure put on new mothers who have just given birth to like, you know, you know, get their body back, get back in shape. So you are a mother of two. You just recently had your second child. 
what is postpartum life like? What has the body image journey looked like for you in this season? Oh my gosh, postpartum time. Of course, everyone has their own experiences, but it is just like such a vulnerable time. You have gone through a very intense like physical process. Um, if you if you carried your baby, you know, nine to 10 months of carrying your baby, labor and delivery, the hormonal changes that happen, like all of those things have already happened leading up to it. And whether or not you carried your baby, all of a sudden you have this teeny tiny little like newborn baby that you are basically solely responsible for taking care of and keeping them alive. And it is just a wildly like vulnerable time. Um, the emotions, the hormones, the physical demands, um, and also this like intense, intense love. Um, and on top of that, like the whole identity thing that's happening, which is like, who am I like as a person, as an individual, as a mom, like all of these things are happening at the same time. Um, and to have the pressure <laughs> to look like you didn't just have a baby when you did just have a baby is so I feel like if we ever needed to have an example of how ridiculous society's expectations are on our bodies like this is such a great example because the pressure is on every woman really every person at all times but there's something to me about like the postpartum time period and this idea of like getting your getting your body back that especially illuminates how ridiculous it all is and how out of touch like these the pressure is and like the images are that we are being fed because you just had you just had a baby you just you know carried and birthed this human and now you're expected to look like you didn't it's just so like wildly out of touch to me. Um, and so I'm grateful for the years of body image work that I had leading up to this because in a highly vulnerable time to have those messages and to see those um, images, it's really like, it, it, it's really like devastating to feel like, oh my gosh, on top of all of these other things that I'm trying to process and figure out and you know, hopefully enjoy a little bit of it too. I also have to be concerned with making my body look like this airbrushed, like photoshopped model on top of it, or I have to be worried about like getting myself back into jeans that fit before I had a baby, like those kinds of things. Um, and so for me, I really try to remember in this season and in all seasons of my life, but in, in postpartum time that my body is meant to be celebrated. And even if society tells me that, you know, it doesn't look the way that it's supposed to, or it's not quote unquote good enough, that I get to choose like what is good enough and I get to choose how I treat myself and how I view myself. And so I have really just tried to celebrate like the softness of the season. And I've tried to really focus in on teeny tiny moments that let me do that. Like if I'm nursing my baby and both of our stomachs are like really relaxed and they just kind of touch. And I think about how nice it is to just be able to like relax my belly and not feel like I need to suck it in. And then I also think about how there's kind of an energy to a moment like that where maybe 
is potentially learning like subconsciously that like we don't have to suck our stomachs in and that we can just be relaxed and that like it's okay to be in our natural bodies. And so I try to really focus in on moments like that and experiences like that to help me be really present in my body and to appreciate it because basically everything that happens to your body during like pregnancy and postpartum is everything that society tells us we should like hate about our bodies, right? Like expanding and getting bigger and getting softer and stretching and all this stuff, cellulite and stretch marks and, and all of it are all these things that we're told are just like so awful, yet there are all these things that happen naturally like when you're bringing life into this world. So it's just so, I, I think like the messaging that we receive and like the beauty of reality are just so, could not be further apart and are so detached. Um, so for me, it, if anything, the postpartum period just really like nails into me how important this body image work is because it just shows how ridiculous the expectations are on on women and i'm like i am just oh i am over this <laughs> so yeah, like i really love there were two things that i want to expand upon more you know you being like i'm just over this and you had said like i get to choose what is enough like so you get to come from a place of power and you get to decide for yourself, like choose for yourself what is enough and choose how you're going to see your body. And I think that we're trained or programmed to be really disempowered about our bodies. It's like you said, everything that happens to a woman's body when she's pregnant is like everything society says is what is what we should really try to prevent from happening like the stretching and the expanding and you know the softness which the word that's coming through for me is like how barbaric to do that to to women who are creating life who have given birth and they've gone through this very natural beautiful process like it's a part of nature and we're told that it we need to do whatever we can to make it like not happen and that we should hate our bodies Totally. That happened. Like it's, um, it's so twisted. It's yeah. So and twisted. I feel like the same thing happens to girls who are going through puberty too. Like it's the same kind of messaging. It's like this very natural process is happening. And I mean, for me, like when I think back, puberty was a really like tough time for me on my journey, right? Because you're gaining weight, you're naturally, your body's naturally like putting more fat on, like all these things that are happening that are supposed to happen that are natural, are so like counter to the messages that we're receiving about like how we're supposed to look in our bodies or what we're supposed to make our bodies look like. And so I would, I would just encourage anyone, whether you are a mom or not, or whether you want to get pregnant or not, or whether, you know, whatever your journey is, I don't think women are more valuable. Like once they've haven't, once they've had children at all, that's not what I'm saying, but I would say like, just to, think about how ridiculous like the messaging is and realize that that's the messaging we're all getting all the time, whether we're in postpartum bodies or not. And that it's just completely unrealistic. Um, and yeah, like I said, I'm just, I'm so over it. Like I feel like the second that I get a message, like that I see a message about like these pressures on like the pressures on women's body or how we're supposed to look if it's within the realm of like possible things to say like unfollow or I'm not looking at that like I am just not looking at it anymore I'm like I do not need this in my space and 
there are plenty of incredible people who are sharing different messages and different stories. And that is, I'm like thrilled to fill my life and my mind and my heart with those messages. And I'm just like over the rest of it. And also feel really passionate about changing the narrative and the dialogue around this. I mean, for, but for myself, first of all, because I care about myself enough that I want to change this narrative just like for the world that I'm living in. But, you know, for my son and especially for my daughter who I just had, I'm like, I do not want her to have to feel the way about her body that I have felt about my body. Like, I do not want that for her. No, no, I wouldn't want it for anyone. You yeah. Know? Um, like you were getting emotional there for a moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can tell it means so much to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I'm witness like I'm listening to you speak right now, you know, bringing up the narratives around girls' bodies when they're going through puberty, like this very natural thing so that we can uh develop our menstrual cycle and then after giving birth like it's it like makes me angry but in a motivational channel this energy for the greater good type of way. Um, and it has me get really present to like witnessing you be so moved by wanting to change the narrative for your daughter, like gets me really present to the impact that this has and what it like takes away from us. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I think you bringing up, you know, you said that it's necessary to get your period. Like I remember a point in my journey where I thought it was like a good thing to not have your period because it was like, oh, well, this is like a, this is a good thing when it, I, and I feel like that is sometimes how, like, that's what diet culture and these unrealistic expectations on our body makes us, it, it makes us want to do unhealthy things or to like put our body in an unhealthy state just so that we can achieve certain like physical aesthetics. Yeah. Yeah, like it's painful for me to think about like that, you know, part of my journey where I I was more interested in looking a certain way and was willing to do like whatever it took to get that way like at the expense of my own health. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's key. Like th- like the links that we like the narratives and the messages are so strong in our society that the lengths in which we're willing to go to, to get our body to, to look a certain way is heartbreaking. And yeah. it's like, you're speaking from experience. I'm speaking from experience. Like just the things that we've done, like we've literally engaged in self harm yeah. to be nice to look at. So that society will just treat us with respect and common decency. Yeah. Totally. So I'd love to shift gears a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. And I would love to chat with you about being an intuitive eater and having food sensitivities. I feel like this is something that you are personally an expert on. And sometimes we assume that we can't be an intuitive eater if we have a food allergy. So I would just love for you to share about your experience and how you're able to, to be an intuitive eater and be celiac. Definitely. So first of all, I think everyone can be an intuitive eater if you want to be an intuitive eater. And obviously that looks, that looks slightly, it it looks different person to person, no matter what, right? Like whether we have celiac disease or not, being an intuitive eater means that you're attuned to your body signals and what your body needs and that you're following those and honoring those. 
Um, and so of course it's going to look different from person to person, no matter what. Um, for me personally with celiac disease, my body sends me certain signals that lets me know that gluten is not a healthy choice for my body. It literally causes my body to attack itself. So for anyone who doesn't know celiac disease is an autoimmune disease. And when I ingest gluten or when it's even on my skin, so like if I had like lotion with gluten in it or whatever it might be, my, um, my body will start to attack itself. And so obviously the messages that my body, um, is sending me these messages are letting me know that this is not something that works for me. So for me, choosing not to eat gluten is, um, it's a way that I respect my body. It's a choice that I make based on the messages that my body has sent me. Um, and it's a way that I take care of myself. Um, intuitive eating as someone who has celiac, like, or anybody who has to, you know, like cut out certain foods or is not able to eat certain foods because of an allergy or whatever it might be. Um, it also means being really intentional to make sure that I'm getting foods that feel satisfying and that I'm honoring my cravings. And so if I'm craving bread or if I'm craving a donut or if I want cookies or whatever it might be, I make sure that I have the gluten-free versions of those things and that they are part of my life. Um, I eat those kinds of foods on a regular basis. Um, they are part of my, they're part of my regular life. And I just make sure to be intentional to include those things so that having celiac disease doesn't mean that I'm deprived. It means that I am making a choice that honors my body and doing it in a way that honors my whole self, um, including making sure that I have like really satisfying foods and that when I want a donut, I get a donut, mm. things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned choice again. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned choice when you were talking about body image and you mentioned choice just now about honoring your body and your cravings and listening to the signals that your body sends you about gluten. I would love it if you could expand a little bit more on like why the power of choice is such a part of your journey. And how did you get to this place of making these empowered choices that are in our alignment with you? Yeah, well, for so long, um, I gave away my power, not really even realizing that that's what I was doing, right? I didn't realize that I was giving away my power to through people-pleasing and perfectionism and all of these things. And so for me, it is really, really important that I remind myself that I am responsible for my own actions and I get to choose how I want to show up for myself and for others in this world. Um, because for so long, I did not realize that that was even an option. And I was, you know, like subconsciously giving that power away. And so it is really important for me to feel empowered in my own choices and to feel like I can take ownership over the choices that I am making and that I'm not a victim in my life. And when I was struggling for so long, I really did feel like a victim all the time. Um, and so it's important for me to not feel that way in my own life and also so important for me to let other women know 
that they don't have to feel that way either and that they are they can be empowered to make choices that feel really good to them um, and honor them and honor their, their values, even if the messages that we get from society tell us otherwise. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Talking about not being the victim, but taking full responsibility and ownership over your life. Like it's a really beautiful experience to come from a place of power to make those choices for yourself, you know, that are in alignment with you. And I think that a big part of changing the narrative, like the cultural narrative about women's bodies and about food and about all the stuff that, you know, we've been talking about today, worth and value and all of that comes from, you know, a lot of us first doing the work in ourselves and then collectively uniting in a very empowered way to start to change that narrative. And um, I heard uh, one of my mentors, Rebecca Scritchfield, she shared that, um, she shared that, you know, I don't know if the narrative will completely change like within our lifetime, but we have to do as much work as we can here for like the next generation. And I so believe that that is true. So I hope I get to see like the narrative change, but if not, I think we can do a lot of really amazing work through being empowered ourselves, um, that like the next generation can, can pick up and continue. Yeah. Yeah. Like just last week on the podcast, I had Tristan Thibodeau, who's another health coach. And she was literally talking about the exact same thing of just like, we're paving the path. Like we have an opportunity to like really change the narrative for future generations. And, you know, we're doing that by being the change within ourselves and we're doing that. And that is how you create change. Yeah. You know, on a, on an individual level and then interpersonal and community, and then obviously culturally, um, yes. I already feel like it's changing, you know, like the, I feel like social media has really allowed this message to grow at such a rapid rate. Um, and it's really cool to, to see, you know, it's so amazing to see like little corners of the internet be carved out where like these messages are growing. I, I agree. I think it's so awesome. I'm, I'm just like so grateful. I'm so grateful that it is growing and I'm so grateful just to be like a tiny, a tiny part of it. It feels, it feels so meaningful. Um, and yeah, I think all the time I'm like, I wish that these messages were as like strong and loud like eight years ago as they are now, but then it's awesome because it gives me a lot of hope for eight years from now, like how much stronger and louder they'll be. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I don't have anything else to say except yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so me, one last final question before we wrap this up. What is your favorite quote and why? Um, I don't know if I have like an ultimate favorite quote of all time, but I just saw, um, do you follow niche on Instagram? Speaking of social media, mm -mm. it's -I just like, H. yep. N I T C H. Okay. Um, it's like underscore N I T C H. It's this great account where they have, uh, they have like quotes. They'll just share quotes from famous people. And it's one of my favorite accounts. And the other day, um, they shared a Romy Schneider quote where she said, you must not quote to me what I once said. I'm wiser now. And I just thought that was like so fabulous. And it really spoke to me in that we're all constantly evolving and learning and growing. 
and that we don't have to feel so stuck in our past stories or narratives or even identities that there's always room for for growth and it really spoke to the inner part of me that struggles with perfectionism as well so today that is my favorite quote but I guess just like she says like it will change over time (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that is really beautiful it allows you to evolve and change and I my brain wants to go down this political route about how we like beat up politicians for changing their minds as if that's a bad thing to grow and evolve and I actually think like like she said like I'm the wiser now you know which is which is really beautiful I, I love that so Sydney, this has been amazing. Tell us where everybody can find you. Where can they find your amazing book? All of the things. Thank you so much for having me. It was so wonderful to get to come on and chat with you. Um, basically, everything is my name. So simibodish.com and I'm at simibodish on Instagram. And you can find Letting Go of Leo on Amazon. Yay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hmm. Wasn't that just such a powerful, moving episode? Simi was so insightful and open and sharing about what helped her with her body image. And I think one of the big takeaways that we didn't actually talk about on the, during the interview, but I was thinking about afterwards while editing it was that healing your relationship with your body, like changing your body image is an inside job. It's not an outside job, right? Healing your body image doesn't come from changing what your body looks like. It comes from changing how you look at your body and how you value yourself as a person. And I think that that was a really big takeaway from today's podcast interview. So I hope that that provides insight and clarity for you on how you move past this and heal this if it is something that you are currently struggling with. So I hope you loved the episode today. If you did, will you share it in your Instagram stories and tag us both? I know that we would both be so grateful to know that this podcast made a difference for you and this conversation made a difference for you. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. 